This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. I'll be back for you someday. It won't be long. Just hold on to this bloody war is over. The guns will be silent. On Remembrance Day. You know I love my Brian Adams. You may have thought we'd start with that, but tomorrow is Remembrance Day. um, And I've told you some of my stories about remembering what it meant as a kid. And also, I think, when you grow up in the 70s and you grow up in the early 80s, um, and even when you get to college in the 90s, you're, you're very grateful that conflict... Not that there isn't conflict at at many parts around the world. Look at right now. And by the way, the Middle East is hardly the only conflict. If you've watched what's happening in Sudan right now um, with the rounding up of black Africans by the Sudanese army and uh, militias there, it's horrifying. You're not going to see those men again after they're captured. And the eyes of the world aren't exactly on that. And I'm not saying they shouldn't be focused on the Middle East. But we've got massive problems uh, in many countries around the world. And oftentimes Canada com- is meant to come to the rescue. Canada is meant to come to humanitarian causes. Canada is also meant to fight. And we did that in Afghanistan in 2001 to uh, snuff out the Taliban along with what we call allied forces. But I'm really grateful because we grew up in a country. I think we can say this. I think we grew up in a country that prefers peace over war prefers conversation over armed conflict. And uh, I would make the case as well, there wasn't a lot of pressure on young men like me to step up because there just wasn't a cause that was absolutely urgent at the time. But the men who grew up in Canada during World War I and World War II, I wouldn't say they quite had the same option. I'd say there'd be a ton more pressure at that point in time. So I'm always grateful, um, tremendously grateful um, that the men and women who serve us do that. And I always make the case that we have to keep our military, keep people encouraged to get into the military, that we have to respect the armed forces. Of course, they have to be held accountable just like any any other industry. We've had some bad things happen. We've had some bad people emerge and climb up the ladder in the Canadian armed forces. And the concept is, all right, let's find out about this, make it right, and make sure it doesn't happen again. But I'm just eternally grateful. And we talk about it in our household, not being a household that's been really impacted by somebody going off to war. An uncle, a grandfather, a great uncle, a mother, a father. We haven't had it um, in our household. Uh, I saw this earlier and I don't I don't quite know what to make of it. Um, There's going to be humanitarian pauses that I'll explain in in Gaza that are quite distinct But I also saw this story about Melanie Jolie, our foreign minister. Um, She's in France right now, and there's a G7 meeting, obviously. And the headline seems to be, and I don't think it's a wrong headline. This is from Tonda McCharles in the Star, who's the Ottawa bureau chief there. Canada agrees on need to work for a ceasefire in Israel-Hamas war, Melanie Jolie says. Now, those comments sort of extend past what the prime minister has said. Um... 
I don't know that we agree on the need to work for a ceasefire. An end to the conflict would be great. I would love an end to uh, the fighting. I would love, you know, normalcy in our streets. I would love for university campuses as well to be safe places. I'd love for some of the, you know, some of the the anti-Semitism, some of the Islamophobia, some of just the conflict period to, I'd love for the temperature to drop a little bit. It's super hot. I actually think it's probably peaked and will go down instead of up in the next month. And this is a big step along the way. These humanitarian pauses I'm going to get to in a sec. But no, Canada doesn't agree on a need to work for a ceasefire. The prime minister hasn't said that. The defense minister has said, no, Israel needs to keep pushing and root out Hamas. And you can call that what you want. I'm more inclined to agree right now with, with Bill Blair than I am with Melanie Jolie. And it's terrible. The cost of war is horrific. The cost of conflict is horrific. But I, there's so many aspects of the last four and a half to five weeks I don't understand and one of them is how the, the welfare of the citizens of Gaza, as strained as, as they are, as absolutely in crisis as they are, is 100% the responsibility of the Israel Defense Forces and not of Hamas itself. It's not 100 to 0 either way. But that's, all I, that's a lot of what I see and hear from people talking about the conflict. I mentioned... So I no I don't I don't think Melanie Jolie I'm worried she's just saying things to say things right now. You can want a ceasefire. A ceasefire has to have conditions. Surrender yourself, turn over the hostages. 1A and 1B. You do that, we can talk about a ceasefire. Hamas has said in every language imaginable, including English, that's not going to happen. We're going to do October 7th again and again and again. They told you that. They're not sneaking around about it. They've told you what they're going to do. They wanted this reaction. They knew they were willing to sacrifice pawns and every other chessboard pieces in the, in the concept of this to start this war. And they were basically, bring it. Israel's brought it. We can criticize Israel for this and that and whether this bombing is indiscriminate and that bombing's not indiscriminate. Israel's who's helped who's helped people cross the Gaza border, uh, the Gaza Strip and get across the Rafa crossing in Egypt. Israeli forces or Hamas? There's only one answer to that. Again, you can be as hard as you want on Israel and what they're doing. I got no problem with criticizing military tactics. It was fair game when America went into Afghanistan. It was very fair when America went into Iraq with the bad information and stayed there after they knew they had the bad information and kept going and going and going. But I want the temperature to drop a little bit, and I'm not sure that we're all in agreement that a ceasefire is the way to do that. You can think that, but it has to have conditions. Of course it does. Um, I want to play you this from Concordia University yesterday. Um, This is certainly rattling. Um, Basically, it turned into a giant brawl at the school. Um, And uh, and Concordia in, in, um, in Quebec is, I think, a pretty, you know, it's got it's got a great credibility as a school. Concordia and McGill certainly do. A lot of Ontario students go there. Here's Adam Gordon, who was, um, I guess we'd call him a, a pro-Israel student. That's the thing. I think there's a ton of people that just want to go to class, have lunch, go out on dates, and, uh, and get smarter. That's what they're there for. Of course you can be active. Of course you can be politically motivated. But things are just deteriorating. They really are. We're going backwards instead of forwards. Here's Adam Gordon talking about what he saw. He's a third-year Concordia student. 
you support genocide. He was screaming, you guys are baby killers. 10,000 isn't enough for you, so on and so forth. And, you know, and even throughout all that screaming, people who were listening to this and who were being screamed at kept saying, no, that isn't what we're supporting. No, we don't support the death of innocent civilians. No, we don't, you know, support innocent people getting hurt or, or being affected by this. And the screaming just kept going and going and going until eventually that escalated into, into physically grabbing flags from our hands, attempting to physically grab flags from our hands. Um, and then the shoving. It's no good. It's no good. That's a university campus. Forget the dollar amount you're paying to go there. Forget how hard students have to work to actually get there. And you're not going to get these years back. We all could uh, wish to go back to university and relive our, all those fun years. There's still some stress in those years. You don't have any money. You're trying to figure out who you are. Um, you write a bad test. You're not, you're not seeing eye to eye with your prof. Your girlfriend breaks up with you. Boyfriend breaks up. You think it's the worst thing imaginable. You can't get back focused on. You lose your part-time job. There's a million things that can transpire. over the. You're not expecting to get shoved at and wrestled and screamed at. And, and get called a baby killer either side. That's not what you're going to university for. Again, there's activism and there's and there's bordering on way, way, way too aggressive behavior. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Yesterday at noon, a news conference at Queen's Park uh, in Toronto. Um, this is getting more interesting, that's for sure. And I think we always thought it would. The Ontario Liberals are looking for a new leader uh, since the resignation of Stephen Del Duca way back in June of 22 on election night. Uh, the Liberals had a very poor result. They upped the popular vote, but they didn't get where they needed to get to, not even close. And with the next election, perhaps um, two, ye- two years and several months away, the Liberals are looking for a new leader. In studio with us, we've got Beaches East York. MP Nate Erskine-Smith, and on Zoom, we have his uh, fellow MP Yasser Nakvi. And yesterday, the two announced in a joint news conference uh, that they'll be teaming up, as it were. It's great to have both you guys on. Nate, thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me. And Yasser, how's everything going with you? Good morning, Greg. Good morning, Nate. <laughs> you guys know each other. That's right. Um, <laughs> Yasser, Yasser, let's start with you. What's this all about? And when did this start to get percolating in, let's say, your mind? I'll ask you first. When did you say this seems like something that is the right thing to do? And, and it's the timely thing to do as well with only a few weeks till people vote. Well, Greg, I, I got in, in the race with the mission to defeat Doug Ford in 2026. But I knew in order for us to do that, we would have to build a, 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 a strong liberal party. Uh, and for that, we need a, a, a principled, pragmatic liberal leader. And of course, I really strongly believe that I'm that uh, leader. Uh, but we need to make sure that we are all are working together in order to make this happen. And over this, this campaign, I got to know all the leadership candidates quite well. And, and I spent a lot of time with Nate. And in Nate, I saw the same values and principles that that I embody uh, and given that this is a ranked ballot and once I decided personally as to who I'm going to be marking as my second choice um, I, I decided to let people know um, and mm. Nate and I started uh, talking about that and Nate found out that Nate is also thinking to mark me as the second ballot. I think we both are working very hard to be the successful winner but I also want people to know as to beside myself being the first choice Who's going to be my second choice? And I'm saying Nate will be. Um, and I think together, by working together, 
we can defeat Doug Ford in 2026 and and bring accountability uh, in uh, back in um, right. Queens Park and bring liberal values that will make our province a better place to live for everyone. So that's Yasser Nakfi. Nader's can with us. If I'd asked you this two months ago, could you have foreseen an alliance like this happening? What would you have said? I would have said we're not there yet, but increasingly, you know, we went on the road for almost a year. I've been on the road for over a year, but we went on the road together for a very long time, many, many months. And you get to know people on the road and you get to trust people. And so it was really for me a moment at the TMU debate where Yasser stood up and we had a friendly exchange and he had said, we need principled leadership to challenge the status quo. And for me, that's leadership that over eight years in federal parliament, I've worked to embody. And you know, over time, you get to see who is the person that's articulating the direction for the party that is aligned with yours, a progressive direction, a principled direction? Who is putting ideas on the table in a substantive way? And more than anything, who's putting the relentless work in to rebuild this province and rebuild the relationships and rebuild the presence everywhere? And we're working hard to deliver all three, and I see Yasser working hard to deliver all three. So there's a, there's a natural cooperation and collaboration there. And frankly, that's what people want to see. They want to see cooperation and collaboration in our politics to build things up. I want to ask you both specifically um, a bit because you're saying you're, we've been on the road. We get to know people better. I'm going to wait till after the news and ask you both specifically what you know now more about Bonnie Crombie that you'd say you wouldn't two months ago. And I think that's an important question to answer to voters. But, Nate, on the rank ballot front, what's the specifics of what you're asking people to do? Because what, what I'm not hearing is we want you to vote to, to rank Bonnie Crombie fourth. That's not the that's not the outward suggestion, but the suggestion is if you're not voting for me, you're, we want, if you're voting for me, great, we want Yasser second and vice versa. That's the ask. That's right. This is very simple. It's to say to people who are supporting me that I trust in Yasser, that if I'm unsuccessful in this, and we're working very hard to be successful, but if I'm unsuccessful, I hope Yasser is successful because I'm going to be able to build this with him. So vote for me first and vote for Yasser second. People are going to make their own choice, but I'm articulating my ballot and I'm encouraging people to follow to follow my footsteps. Yes, sir. Is there a lot of background in terms of the mathematics that's involved for you to say, yeah, it's, it's important to to let liberal voters know this before they go a couple weeks from now, a few weeks from now? One thing is absolutely clear, Greg, is that nobody is winning this leadership race on the first ballot. You need 50 percent plus one to win. And none of us. Um, are in a position right now to win this uh, on the first ballot. So the rank ballot and how you score your ballot uh, subsequently beside your first choice is is really important. And I think clarity and transparency as to where I stand on that rank ballot, of course, asking people to put me as their first choice, but saying that uh, I, I, I can work with Nate and Nurk Nate has the same uh, values as I do in terms of how we're going to build the party and defeat Doug Ford in 2026. Uh, it's important for people to know. But one thing, as I said, it's clear that nobody's winning uh, this on first ballot. And it's, therefore, it's really important as to how people rank their choices on the ballot between the four candidates. OK, we've got Nate Erskine-Smith, um, who's an Ontario Liberal Party candidate for leadership, and Yasser Nakfi with us as well. Yasser, let me start with you here. I mean, look, the person on the street, man on the street, woman on the street, and I'm going to say this, I don't think this is coming specifically from Bonnie Crombie, um, but I hear her supporters say, oh, look at this. And this was happening during the debates. It's two men ganging up on a woman in politics. It's four men. It was previously four men criticizing one woman on the stage. Like I, that's that criticism out there. How would you address it? 
well, this is a very competitive uh, race and all of us are bringing our best ideas forward with the desire to build a better province. And Mayor Crombie is a very strong leader who's, uh, who's, who's done a lot uh, for her community. This is not about one person. This is about the future direction of the party and what kind of leader we need. I have said in this race from the, from the beginning that in order for us to defeat Doug Ford in 2026, the Ontario Liberal Party leader has to stand in star, stark contrast to Doug Ford. The next election will be fought on trust and ethics, and we need a leader that is most trustworthy. And I'm, I'm making the case that I'm that uh, I'm the leader with both mm. political experience and lived experience that is relatable uh, to people. Talking about how we should be marking our our ballot uh, uh, as your first choice, your second, third, and fourth choice, and and telling people that in my case, uh, I believe Nate is a more aligned with my values and the direction I want our party and province to go uh, is is being transparent and mm. very clear to people uh, as to I stand. And I think that's a good thing in politics. Nate, you've heard that criticism. Um, it's there, but people can't help um, the sex they were born and the skin they were born in. The last time I checked, well, how do you view it? <laughs> so I've also heard uh, bad faith comments about this being a backroom deal. And here we are doing public media, doing a public announcement, <laughs> being as absolutely transparent. So look, there are a lot of bad faith attacks in politics as far as it goes. Imagine I was sitting here with Mayor Crombie and we were talking about cooperation and Yasser wasn't part of it. Would this be excluding a Muslim man and it's about his Muslim identity? Absolutely not. This has nothing to do with her identity. And the more we drive down that path of identity politics in a bad faith way, the worse off the Liberal Party is. We aren't, we aren't tearing someone down here. This is about building up our party. And this is about working in collaboration with someone who I share the same values with and the same direction for the party. I talk about being on stage with Yasser where he talked about principled leadership to challenge the status quo. And, and I, I believe in that and, and I've lived that. I heard Mayor Crombie join this race and, and I was, I was open-minded. And when she talked mm -hmm. about governing from the right of center being the secret sauce, when she talked about opening up the green belt, when she's you know, reverse course on strong mayor powers, you, you run down the list and she's reversed some of these positions, that's, that's all fair. But that's not my politics. Authenticity matters, integrity matters, and a progressive direction for this party matters if we're going to win. Yeah, sir. Same scenario, because if I've I watched, you know, I remember sitting there watching Barack Obama tear up Hillary Clinton in the 2008 Democratic primaries. And I didn't give it a second thought. I watched Doug Ford call out Kathleen Wynne, who was premier at the time, because Doug Ford said, I can do this better. If we lose that in politics and we're worried about binary this binary that male female this skin color that skin color that's we're in big trouble here we're in big trouble if that becomes the predominant reason why you'd vote for somebody or not yeah i think i think it's only fair to have political differences i think that's how our democracy is strong that because we get have clashed of ideas whenever you bring someone's identity i'm not voting for that person because they have a different uh, skin color or their gender is different than mine or i don't like their sexual orientation that's a very different matter uh, because now you're choosing to vote for uh, not vote for someone because of their identity as opposed to their ideas. Our democracy works best when people from all different backgrounds participate. Our democracy works even better when we bring different ideas and we test them out mm -hmm. against each other. We've had a really robust leadership race. I think this has been one of the most competitive leadership race that I've seen in a long time within the Ontario Liberal Party. And all, for, all of us have brought good ideas. All of us uh, have experience, we have strengths and our weaknesses, but I think that has given a much better choice to the members of the Ontario Liberal Party. And remember, we have all collectively signed over 100,000 people, uh, which is a really good thing. And 
what in case of Nate and I, what we, we're doing is people are asking us, okay, yeah, sir, I'm voting for you as your first choice. Who do you think I should mark as my second choice? Once I came to that decision based on a lot of reflection, I only thought that's only fair that I share that with people. And I'm glad that Nate shares the same in terms of his alignment with me. But in the end of the day, the decision will be made by the members of the Ontario Liberal Party. And I, for one, will continue to work really hard to be the leader of the party and then bring Bonnie and Nate and Adel and Ted and all the peoples we've signed up into the fold, into our big tent, so that we can work together, uh, build yeah. our party, bring accountability back to Queen's Park and defeat Doug Ford in 2026. Yasser, yeah, is the big issue that you don't think Bonnie Crombie could beat Doug Ford or you're even if she does, you're worried there just aren't the liberal values that you espouse? Which is it? Um, I, I have some serious concerns uh, in terms of Mayor Crombie's political instincts and, and political style. And I've been making that point uh, quite clear do, do, during the campaign. Um, I have concerns when somebody says that they will govern from right of center. I don't think that's where Ontarians are. I have concern when people say that spending on healthcare and childcare and dental care uh, is going too far left. I don't think Ontarians agree with that. I have serious concern when somebody's political instinct is to say that they're okay to do land swaps on green belts. Um, I've been very crystal clear that we need to protect a green belt. All these things are really important uh, uh, metric for us to know in politics because these are issues that impact people's life. And I've had serious concerns from the beginning uh, of Mayor Crombie's campaign on these particular issues. Nate, is this about for you, um, liberal ideology and, and her being further away from it? Or is this just about, I think I can win and I don't think she can? So I've said from the beginning in this race, there are two questions for people to answer. The first question is, what direction do we want for the party? And the second question is, who's best place to beat Doug Ford? And the answer to the questions is actually the same. It's by setting a progressive direction with a leader who can earn the trust of progressive voters. Let's remember in the province of Ontario that this isn't a, a binary system where you've just got two parties that are, that are going toe-to-toe. -to -toe. There are three not Doug Ford parties in the province of Ontario. The leader of the Ontario Liberal Party, and, and we only have nine seats at Queen's Park right now, we have to earn the trust of progressive voters and win the progressive primary. How do you do that with a leader who has blocked housing? How do you do that with a leader who has said that governing from the right or center is a secret sauce? So uh, is everybody I, a little more awake on housing? I want to push you on that. She says that this is my plan. And a lot of housing advocates have said it looks like a good plan to me. But you're saying her track record matters more. The plan is a good plan. I think it's great that she's changed her mind. I, so th this is an open question for, for, for liberals to answer. Yeah. That I have a track record of working to address the opioid crisis, of stronger climate action, of helping to lift workers out of poverty, of working across party lines in a serious way. As mayor, Mayor Crombie has a track record of blocking housing and has come in the course of this leadership to change her mind. Changing one's mind is a good thing. If you change your mind in keeping with the evidence, that should be welcomed. If you change your mind because of a campaign, that should be challenged. And I, and I do think it's a good thing that she's changed her mind, but it's a question of trust. Are we going to earn the trust of progressive voters? Um, I want to hold you guys both for a sec on the ceasefire issue. You both signed a letter a few weeks ago um, calling for a ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war. There's movement, obviously, towards humanitarian pauses, Nate. Um, I have felt at times the liberal government's been a bit all over the place, but I think it's a complicated issue. Melanie Jolie says this. Bill Blair says this. Justin Trudeau says something that's independent of, of both those views. Is this OK that your party isn't entirely aligned at all times? That's such a complicated issue. 
I think it's a, a healthy thing in our democracy to have different viewpoints within a caucus like ours. We represent different communities with different viewpoints. And I think there's an evolution of this when we see the scale of tragedy in Gaza. And so you've seen other countries go through the same evolution where they didn't start talking humanitarian truce and now they're talking humanitarian truce. They didn't start talking ceasefire. Macron just called for a ceasefire. And so I do think increasingly people are going to, the world is going to demand more of a humanitarian response because of the scale of the tragedy. Yeah, sir. How do you view it? Um, we obviously see demonstrations in the streets. I see signs and people screaming ceasefire. And I'm like, yeah, but there's hostages. Yeah, but there's a terrorist group that's not going to participate in a ceasefire. And they've said so. So it's got so many complexities that it's not just about one word or one definition, is it? But it's about protecting innocent civilians. It exactly. is about protecting children. Um, and um, But that's Hamas's was- responsibility also, isn't it? And they won't do it. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And I was going to say, I mean, it was tragic uh, to see what happened on October 7 when innocent uh, uh, Israeli civilians were targeted and killed and has been taken hostage and those hostages has to be uh, returned. But it's also very tragic to see Palestinian uh, uh, civilians uh, being killed at the moment. And that's why a ceasefire, whether it's for humanitarian reasons, whether it's temporary or, or permanent, is is important. And using the ceasefire towards working uh, for lasting peace, um, I uh, have growing concerns as to the tensions that we are seeing at our home. This is really impacting uh, people, whether they're of Jewish faith or Muslim faith, uh, and the insecurity uh, that all of us are feeling. And we need to work really hard, really hard to restore that that trust between communities. Uh, and that work is is on shaky ground at the moment. That concerns me. Guys, I really appreciate the time. Two weeks from tomorrow, right? I want to get this right. November 25, 26, ranked ballots cast by party members and an announcement and the counting comes December 2nd. Nate, have I got that right? That's correct. Yeah, sir, have I got that right? I want you guys in a line. You're going to disagree on some <laughs> stuff. I want you in a, I want you agreeing it's November 25th and then four, December 2nd. <laughs> all four candidates will agree with that assertion. Okay, let, let's also get the, let's not get the people that counted the 2018 progressive conservative ballots. Let's not get those same people. Let's give them the weekend off for the counting part. Can we do that? I think so. I don't think there are too many volunteers, <laughs> but, there, but there are some. There's some. There are some. <laughs> yeah, some people have absolutely abandoned the corruption at Queen's Park. So. Some conservatives would like to count the liberal ballots. Let's put it that way. Um, guys, thanks so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Yasser Nakvi, Nate Erskine-Smith. That is November 25, 26. Um, Liberal Party members will vote for the next leader in Ontario. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. So we played you that uh, audio of Nate Erskine-Smith and Yasser Nakvi. They're both Liberal MPs. And I know my uh, producer, Sheba Siddiqui, has been dying, pleading, begging <laughs> To opine, to opine on it. And, and listen, I laid that out, and I, th- I hope I asked the right question. Are you okay with that question? Like, I said it looks like two guys teaming up on a woman to some. Is that a fair question? Brady, you'll never understand this, okay? But every woman out there who's listening can relate to this. That moment you turn a guy down or, you know, you say no, even if it's respectful, politely, or, you know, they whistle, they ask for your number, and you just ignore them, and they turn on you. This is, I feel, one of those moments. They, it's like those two guys in high school that the girl turned down and they spread a nasty rumor about her. I'm not saying that's what's happening, but that's what it reminds me of. It's just, I do feel that they're teaming up. And you know what this makes me feel? This is like, oh, Bonnie is really, they're very threatened by her. She's, 
she's really I think this solidifies anybody who was on the fence. Oh, vote Bonnie. Well, they are threatened. No, but they are threatened by her. You've heard me say desperate times call for desperate measures. It's a move of desperation. But that doesn't mean they don't feel what they feel that the party's better served with them. Shouldn't they feel that way? I'm asking. Of course. Of course. Well, that's why they're running because they actually feel that way. But I mean, it's it's just showing me the the tactics that they're using. So one of your favorite topics on Toronto today, for some reason, (laughs) let's not talk about me. Finish your thought about, about Nate and Yasser. (laughs) Is Bonnie Crombie's age. No, it's not. No, it isn't. No, that is. I'm not ending the show. Hold on. Let's put that out there. She's 63 years old. Okay. She has experience as an MP for Mississauga Streetsville. She was a Mississauga city councillor. She's been the sixth mayor of Mississauga. She assumed office in 2014. She knows what she's doing. She's got that experience. Good for her for being 63 and having all that experience under her belt. Nadis Grin-Smith is 39 years old. Am I saying that that's a deterrent? I don't know. Okay. I mean, is he a great MP? I mean, it comes across that way. I mean, sorry, he's a counselor. It comes across that way, but... No, he's an he's, MP. You're right. He's an yeah, MP. Yeah, he's, he's 39 years old. Yasser Nakfi is 50 years old. Ted Sue is 59. So age has come, and this isn't us. We are not the ones who started the age conversation. Well, thank do you. you. Remember, do you remember who started the age conversation? Uh, who started um, it? Who brought up her age? John Tory. fair enough but it was nate nate subtly brought it up in a roundabout way then he wanted to clarify it i just don't like the way these two have have tag teamed against her i don't like the optics of it and i do think they are scrambling which just shows you liberal party come on at least pretend you've got it together no 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 but see this is where i okay let me say two things quickly one when we've brought it up i've said to you it would never impact how I would vote. It would, and I said that, and I would. It would never. What age imp- wouldn't? What do you mean? What wouldn't? Her impact? age would never yeah. impact how I would vote. It would never impact how I would judge a candidate. But the Liberal Party will have people in it thinking that's a factor. That's right. Come on, that's what I've said. My favorite topic is not her age. She's the same age <laughs> as John Tory. And to your point, we really. The only reason we were talking about John Tory and and his veteran leadership prior to what happened in in February that we all found out about and he resigned was the idea that John Tory said, I don't think I'm going to run again. And then the pandemic came and he said, you know what? I'm going to anyway. So it well, was, that was probably for different reasons. Right. Absolutely. He had so his hands full. No, the, the idea that any liberal would think, oh, well, uh, Bonnie won't have her act together. She's super sharp. Age is oh, just a is. number. So, oh, this like, is I know you're kidding with me. Of that. <laughs> no, no, I am. But I mean, and just cer- there are certain things that have come into play, like tweets that are tweeted out and then deleted by by certain some of these candidates. Like it just there is a. Who's who's I'm going to say this word. There is an immaturity to certain. Candidates. If, if you were if you were do you think it's difficult for a man to campaign against a woman in this day and age? Do you think it's more difficult? Oh, I, I'm boo-hoo, telling you, Brady. No, I'm asking. Boo-hoo. I'm asking of a legitimately course, fair question. Yeah, I think there. Yeah, you have to be careful of anything can be misconstrued as misogyny. Absolutely. Have you seen misogyny hard, in this campaign? I sure how, haven't. How hard is it? Turn that around. How hard is it for one woman to go up against three men? I don't think she thinks of it that way. She's the oh, what, how. I, I think she's using it to her favor. Then how is she the front runner? And by the way, if this strat- she's good at what well, she's got the most experience oh, in the in the oh. game right now. So if this was so difficult for women to campaign against men. Why are so many women successful campaigning against men? No man wanted to run against Mart Stiles. Jean- Kim Campbell beat Jean Charest in 1993 to become the damn prime minister. 
how oh oh I, how the, did that well, no, but no, no, I, no. yeah, the party's going down whether it's Sheree or Campbell. My point is, you're how, go- wait, hold on. You're telling me to compare male men and women in po- politics, and that you're saying that it's an equal base. It's it's fifty fifty. No, I'm not. See again, that would be putting words in my mouth. I'm saying I'm <laughs> watching. I, I watch Barack Obama tear strips off of Hillary Clinton for the Democratic primary in two thousand eight, and I didn't see it as man versus woman. I put. I thought. No, no, I, saw I didn't it as either. Idea against. Well, I, I saw I it against idea against idea. It was the way that he handled it and the way that. That's it, fair criticism then. Okay. Yes. Yes. I agree. I think it's possible to do it. Is it tricky? Absolutely. On both. You have to as a man, as a woman. But I feel I don't feel. Uh, I respect your opinion on it. I think I think, again, we're having a, a, a mutually respectful discussion. I saw Doug Ford tear Kathleen Wynne apart. Doug Ford is going to be accused of this. If bon- let's put it this way. If Bonnie wins. Doug has to defend himself and go on on the attack sometimes against two uh, uh, two pretty impressive women in Mart Styles and Bonnie Crombie. I think Mart's a great politician. Okay, I think Bonnie's a stellar politician. That's tough for Doug's got them on either side of them, and he's got to play defense because they're going to be like poking <laughs> holes here or there and every. You like your Doug, okay? When he's trying coffee crisps and whatnot, let's see if you like him in 2026 when he's raising his voice or oh, calling absolutely. them out it's or saying be, they're like, not ready. He'll do those things. Like how Donald Trump walked circles around Hillary Trump, uh, Hillary Trump, Hillary Clinton <laughs> on stage. Yeah, trying to intimidate her. I think that's absolutely what's going to happen. We are going to see that if this happens. But I, I just think mm. that two of them teaming up against her is not a good look. And the Liberal mm. Party is already struggling in this province. Get it together. Okay. I love I love the discussion. So let's keep having it. By the way, can I can I say that about Bonnie Crombie on Monday? Say what? That she's is she on the show on Monday? No. What the heck? What are you two doing? I thought she was. What? Why am no. I getting messages from uh, from but people telling me that she's in? I'm let's happy to ask, ask her. her. Yeah. Okay. So okay, I got you. I got you where I'm at. That's my fault for saying it out loud. I said the loud part out loud actually there instead of the quiet part out loud. Let's get to this tattoo story. She, I think we were the only show in Ontario she was on last week, so maybe we'll continue that pace. We enjoy our conversations with Bonnie Crombie. Let's go here. You know, let's get away from this woman-man thing, except we can't because it's about tattoos. This story in the UK um, caught some people and it went virally. A woman in the UK had her boyfriend's name tattooed across her forehead in giant letters. Now, I know you think that's some long name, 11 letters, 14 letters. There might be a bunch of apostrophes. No, it's pretty simple. Kevin! Yeah. She just had Kevin, K-E-V-I-N, tattooed across her forehead. She's 27 years old, um, and it's not her first tattoo by any sense of the imagination. But it got us on the show to thinking, and I'm a tattooless person, uh, Sheba. I, you know, it's not. It's As not, am I. Okay. It's, it was not my right to ask uh, right there. If we were having a political debate, I'd be like, <laughs> the other candidate's got far too many tattoos and you shouldn't vote for him or her. But I was blown away by the numbers here. This is from Pew Research just last year. This ain't some old survey, or sorry, just last month. 38% of women, 18 plus, have a tattoo, 27% of men. I was stupefied. Are you shocked by that stat that it's 38% of women, 27% of men? You know, initially when I saw this, yes, I was. But now thinking about it, it does make sense to me. I feel like men are all or nothing when it comes to tattoos. You either have several or or you want more than one or you have none and you're never going to get one. Whereas mm-hmm. women, you know, you've got a tiny something on your ankle, on your wrist, behind your ear. So I, it makes sense to me. Have you come close? Has it ever been a consideration? Yes. 
Wow. Okay. Yes. Yes. When I was younger, it was either an eyebrow ring or a tattoo, <laughs> and and neither happened. Believe it or not. Like I've got, I've got, I'd say six or seven male friends, and they've all done. Um, a woman's initials. Oh, that's the, the mis- biggest I, it, mistake. Right? Did Johnny Depp not do this with Winona Ryder? So hold on. Your friends who've done women's initials, are they still with this woman? They're they're either, yes, they're still in the youthful exuberant stage of their marriage. Which I, oh, uh, see, these are new, uh, I, are I still am. But, so, <laughs> so you are looking at them going, hmm, like I hope it works out. You're going to have kids someday and I hope you can hold it all together. That seven-year itch comes around. Don't get that tattooed on your arm. But I, I'm just, I'm surprised at how many do it. So of the 27% of men, that's why this woman jumps out at me like Kevin across the forehead. And you saw okay. the photo of her. Like, where oh, the hell hideous. can she go? This, she better, that guy can, that guy's under on, no pressure to keep a, a balance in this relationship. She's pooched any, if something goes wrong. Is it a turnoff to you when a woman has a tattoo? Um, Honestly, yeah. Yeah. When I can oh, it see is. it, when I can I see it and it's okay. very visual. And then when we get to the no, point where there's nine hidden? of them. Yeah. I not I wouldn't discriminate against them, but I, okay. it's not my so thing. So then you wouldn't like it if you came home today <laughs> and your wife had Gregory tattooed yeah. on her forehead. That's a turnoff. Uh, that's right. And listen, you know, if you what should. What if she had it? What if she had it on her forearm? Well, I think the, the what? GB. GB forever. Well, I'd worry about the for- forever. Uh, <laughs> the GB is is fine. Listen, if you come in Monday and you're like uh, 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 Nate and Yasser for co-premier, I don't judge you. <laughs> <laughs> They're both nice men. They're good family men right in the community right Screaming there. Screaming insecurity. Um, what about the ethnicity? Let's go there. What a great. Yeah, let's finish the show by uh, breaking things down around ethnic lines. That's safe to do on a Friday. 39% of, of black of, of black people have a tattoo, 35% of Hispanic people, 32% of white people, 14% of Asian people. I don't think actually I'm shocked by any of that, to be honest. No, I'm not either. I have, I have two or three Hispanic friends that have a uh, quite a notable arm or shoulder tattoo. And then I get maybe there's something in the Asian culture that makes it more. I've, I have no idea. I'm just spitballing. OK, in or out, tramp stamp. <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on the air. Um, as is that a band, a new band uh, that's got a new hit? Gord, can you play some uh, some of that? What she said? I can't even say it. I'm so I'm so out. Uh, demure. Out. <laughs> yeah, I think O U T is the uh, word. If if it said O U T across that sort of hip line, I'm like, yeah, absolutely, that makes sense. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. Six forty Toronto. Let's zero in right now on what could transpire. In the United Kingdom this weekend, Armistice Day is tomorrow. That's their Remembrance Day. And it's a tremendously solemn day, um, you can imagine as well, for Canada's war involvement. Imagine Great Britain's war involvement, especially in World War I and World War II. It's divided Britain, these pro-Palestinian marches, these last several Saturdays. I want to get to Rishi Sunak, the prime minister, weighing in, noting that his expectations are very high for the London chief of police. This is a decision that the Metropolitan Police Commissioner has made. Now, my job is to hold him accountable for that, and we've asked the police for information on how they will ensure that this happens. You know, my view is that these marches are uh, disrespectful. Heidi Bakram uh, is in Brighton in the UK, uh, and she joins us now on Toronto Today. It's great to have you on, and thanks for making the time for our audience. Hi, Greg. You've been out at some of these uh, marches and protests. I mentioned it's, it's very much divided Britain 
How worried are you about tomorrow? I want to focus in and sort of and go ahead as opposed to back, but we'll we'll cover some of what you've seen. How divided is Britain? How worried are you about what could transpire tomorrow? Um, I'm really worried about what's going to happen. Basically, the last four weeks have been pretty much a no-go area in the centre of London for all Jewish people. We've seen violence. We've seen disruption to train stations we've seen a poppy seller being beaten up we mm. we have seen such high levels of disgusting disruption that it's uh it's very worrying for the jewish community there's a lot of divide isn't there and and i would make the point and i think you could corroborate this there's a lot of people in the in the muslim community who just want to go to work and send their kids to school and go to a, a football match, as you call it, tomorrow and don't want any part of conflict. And um, unfortunately, they're being drawn into this as well. It's it's uh, I, I watch the video from Britain a lot and it's a it's a very sad situation to me. Does it feel like that to you? Yeah, I mean, about half of the British public don't want this march to go ahead. So, you know, we're seeing quite a lot of division, but generally speaking, the British public are not supporting this march. And they also don't support the aims of the march. So only about 30% of the public actually support this call for a ceasefire, which is only actually being directed at Israel. Well, yeah, they're the only you know side of this that is a country. They're the only side that is not a terrorist organization. And I think I think a lot of what happens in the streets seem to be making the point there might be people there who are hoping that the Palestinian people get their own state. And there might be a lot of people there who have fair and valid criticism, maybe, for Israeli tactics, but they're also surrounded by people who, to some percentage, Heidi, are are not there for those reasons. They're there for more nefarious reasons. I mean, the organization that organized the march in the first place are already fairly clear about their intentions. They, uh, you know, they, they, there have been chants on the stage from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, which is a, a call that came from the PLO originally, which is about the destruction of Israel. So we're... People are, there are a lot of people on those marches that probably have good intention, that are peaceable and are peaceable. But mm. the organizers themselves have a very clear intention about what their aims are. They they aim for the destruction of Israel. So to me, that's not a peaceable aim. Are your local officials doing enough? We struggle with this here in Toronto. I know you, you've seen, you focused on a lot of the major cities in the world. Toronto's had its share of of peaceful demonstrators, but also its moments of tension and threatening boycotts uh, against Jewish owned businesses. It's there's some indefensible behavior and there's some very valid um, civil demonstration that I would make the case our World War veterans fought for. Um, But you're probably seeing a lot of both. I would say that our veterans didn't fight for Jewish people to not no, feel no, like they could no. go into the center of their own city every single weekend for the past four weeks after an attack that was the biggest massacre of Jews since the Holocaust. I mean, the the optics of this are really terrible. And uh, I'm not really sure why the the organizers decided to go ahead and keep doing it on Armistice Day because it's it's not very, very appropriate. 
Do you have anything? And now we've got- yeah. Do you, I was just going to ask. Do you have, we're tight for time, but I want to know if you're, you have a hope um, in your heart that cooler heads will prevail tomorrow or in the Saturdays to come. I hope. But from what we've seen from the evidence, I don't think it will. And last weekend was the worst weekend we've had so far. And that was actually the smaller demonstration. So there's a lot of sort of groups that are splitting off now and going in to do individual demonstrations and disruptions. So they actually announced to them, to the police when Mm. they were standing in front of them in Charing Cross train station last weekend, that they were going Mm. to do simultaneous sit-ins in three different major train stations. So that's going to shut down transport in and out of London for, you know, who knows how long. And that was the same group yeah. That are, you know, they're advertising themselves. They're not being shy about it. And they were the same group yeah. that were screaming at children that were coming out of the McDonald's because they've arbitrarily decided to boycott McDonald's for some. I saw reason. that there was a young, young black child with his mom who was being screamed at shame. And he's starting shame, to, to shame, get shame right? yeah. in, in, no. in the face of the child. I mean, the child no. is like maybe 10 years old. Yeah, it's just it's, out for a, a McDonald's on a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon. And. I, you know, I, 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 I got to run, but I hope it gets better and I hope yeah. we can stay in touch with you on this. And I wish you well this weekend, Heidi. Thank you for your, uh, your perception you. on this. Thank Hi- you for covering it.